0: Today we are talking to Patrick Collins of Cyphering Audits. Patrick needs no introduction. He's an educator. He's been in crypto space for quite a while. He worked for Chainlink, and I think Billy's still an advisor there. And uh, today we're gonna be uncovering quite a few questions about smart contract audits, some misconceptions about them. What does it take to become an auditor? What are some opportunities in the space? And much, much more. Enjoy. Welcome everyone. Welcome to our uh, Twitter space today with Patrick Collins of uh, and Audits. Uh, And today we're going to be doing actually both video and and a Twitter space at the same time. Uh, Hopefully we're going to give a few minutes for people to join. Uh, But while people are joining, we'll do a super quick introduction of ourselves, Crypto Jobs List. We are number one place to go hire and get hired in Crypto Web 3, Blockchain, Bitcoin, you name it, companies. Patrick doesn't need that much introduction, I feel, uh, but we will still give him a few minutes uh, to introduce himself. Uh, We're just going to start, shall we? Patrick, how are you doing?
1: Yeah, cool. Let's do it. I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. How are Amazing. you? Amazing.
0: Uh, yeah, super excited to finally make this happen. I think we've been talking for like more than a year now, I think, in, in Twitter DMs. So finally, <laughs> finally is the time. Awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Um. Yeah, maybe... Just before you start, a quick, quick lay of the land about the structure of today's space. We're gonna keep it to an hour sharp. Uh, maybe in the end, we'll leave some time for Q and A, maybe 10, 20 minutes if you're lucky. Uh, we're gonna start with, you know, quick intro of Patrick. Um, his background was he to right now. Uh, then we'll talk about what smart contracts Smart contract audits are uh, kind of overall in general some you know issues problems etc. Uh, then we'll talk more about kind of the career opportunities. Uh, what do you need to do to uh, learn Excel in this space? Find job, maybe start your own company, maybe join someone else. Um, yeah, so that's kind of approximate, but we'll try to you know keep it casual and make sure that we kind of go with the flow. If some new ideas pop up, some new questions pop up, we'll definitely address them. All right. Absolutely, Patrick. Please intro yourself. Um, Elevator pitch, perhaps. Who are you? Uh, What are you
1: working on? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So hi, everybody. My name is Patrick Collins. I am a smart contract developer, uh, research engineer, educator, and just kind of overall all over of all things Web3. I've been in this space for a few years now. And right now, I'm working uh, on my company, Cypherin. We do smart contract audits. Um, And additionally, I'm working on some not-so-secret developer education courses. Uh, And I've made two in the past. Two of the biggest ones I've made are on FreeCodeCamp. They are 16 and 32 hours, um, respectively. And yeah, just absolutely love all things Web3. Want to make Web3 safer. And most importantly, want to scale Web3 developers and scale and enable Web3 developers to do more at scale. And obviously, a big piece of enabling developers is making sure that they have careers and jobs. Which is why it's great that we are chatting here. Awesome.
0: Um, maybe a little bit more context. what what were you doing before web three before crypto? A lot of people are moving into space or some people that we want to target is those who are you know maybe at, at their like at a fango manga company they're still considering they're not sure if crypto web3 is uh, the right career path at all. Uh, so what were you doing before?
1: Yeah, so before uh, I was in web three, uh, and actually, so before I was doing what, what I was doing, what I'm doing right now, I was a software engineer and developer advocate for Chainlink Labs, the blockchain Oracle group. And I'm still huge, huge proponent of Chainlink. absolutely love the technology. But yeah, before I was uh, in Web3, I was a developer advocate at a software data company for like financial data um, for a little bit. And then before that, I actually worked at, a, at an asset manager as basically like a software support engineer where I was in charge of watching something called the alpha production process uh, which is basically the a hedge fund or an asset manager's algorithm runner right so a lot of these they're, they're called quantitative hedge funds or quantitative asset managers where they choose the stocks and assets that they're going to buy and sell based off of whatever their algorithms tell them and i was in charge of making sure those algorithms run correctly which involve tons and tons of data and tons and tons of python scripts and tons and tons of just code needs to run correctly and if any of you have ever worked with code before, you know that code breaks sometimes. So I was in charge of making sure it broke less often than not.
0: Cool. What is what was it that what what is it about blockchain that really attracted you? Where did kind of when did it click?
1: Yeah, so it, it's it's funny. Like I mean, I feel like everyone has their smart contract blockchain origin story, mm-hmm. and so mine was actually I was at the data company. We, we sold uh, excuse me, we sold financial data. We sold basically stock data um, so that people could build quantitative asset managers and whatever else they wanted. And we were approached by a group uh, named Chainlink. So a group that you're all hopefully very familiar with. And they were like, hey, would you like to bring some of that data on chain? And at that point I had kind of just fiddled with blockchain. I had fiddled with cryptocurrencies. I'd run a couple of random algorithmic traders myself. And somebody saying, oh, would you want to put data on chain? I was like, well, what the heck are you talking about? Like, what do you mean put data on chain? You can't put data onto like a currency. That doesn't make any sense. And I literally thought it was a scam. I was like, this is a dumb call. I'm going to hang up. But then I started looking into it and I was like, wait, 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 what? You can build code on these blockchains. You can kind of programmatically engineer your money. And that's when I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm super curious about this. And I started going down the rabbit hole, looking into it more and more, learned about smart contracts. And I was just absolutely blown away with what I saw. I mean, as many of you are or are figuring out right now. There's just so much stuff that we can do with blockchain, with, um, with smart contracts. And especially coming from the asset manager side and spending a lot of time looking into traditional finance and traditional Web2, there's a lot of issues with traditional Web2. Asset managers, as many of us kind of know, and uh, big banks and, and large financial groups, their interests are to do whatever it takes to make their clients as most money as possible. And if that means steamrolling you, so be it. And I don't love that, right? And there's a huge, 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 huge information asymmetry with what they know and with what they can do and with what the rest of us can do. Um, And it's not a fair, like, if you literally Google, is the stock market rigged? And I'm gonna put my tinfoil hat on for a second. If you literally Google, is the stock market rigged? You'll come to an Investopedia page, Where it says no but kind of um because just the the amount of resources that a lot of the people in the know have is insane one of the things and and this is this is one of the things i absolutely love just from the financial perspective of blockchain is that this information asymmetry goes away right because everything that somebody does on chain everybody else can do it's really interesting listening to other kind of portfolio managers and asset managers in the blockchain space um, talk about this because they'll be like hey uh, I'm a high-frequency trader in blockchain, and every single time we come up with a new strategy, all of our competitors copy us because all the information is public, right? But So, so that's a little bit more just kind of on the financial side, but the, the fact that it's openless, permissionless, um, anybody in the, Like, I, I'm working with guys right now who live in countries where if I sent them fiat, they wouldn't see any of that money because uh, the governments are corrupt. Um, and it's it's been phenomenal to work with them um, and be able to say hey here's an asset i can pay you in permissionlessly and i know you're going to get it and i know i'm going to reward you for the work that you're doing and the list goes on and on i mean i could keep ranting yeah. about why i love blockchain but i'll probably shut up i'll probably stop here which yeah
0: sure <laughs> I-, I wanted to add that the uh, uh in addition to sending money overseas the never-ending kyc dance that you have to do and explain why you're wiring those hundred <laughs> dollars and, we'll, and what you know are you financing terrorists with those hundred or fifty dollars it's crazy
1: my my <laughs> bank my, my bank like like declines my transactions all the time and i literally have to call them up and be like why did you decline my transaction and they're like well, well what are you using it for and i'm like what why is that in any of your business mm. but
0: just curious life, yeah. which year was that in when you when you got approached by Chainlink?
1: this was this was 2019 so this was almost four years ago at this point oh my god wow time flies <laughs> yeah, in, almost four uh, years ago in this space yep. like
0: crazy all right so like uh kind yep. of coming closer to our main topic What are some issues that you discovered uh, that, you know, happened with smart contracts? Uh, The benefits are kind of clear, I think, hopefully to all of us listening today. Um, What are some issues?
1: Yeah, sure. So obviously with smart contracts, you have this idea of immutable code, right? Which is a superpower, right? The fact that we can come up with an agreement between the two of us and nobody can change it. That is phenomenal in Web 2.0. Whoever controls the database or the algorithms can just do whatever the heck they want. You know, there's a you know that Star Wars meme, I've
0: I am altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further.
1: I always think about that and like to me that's web 2. I've altered the deal. Pray I do not oh. alter it again. <laughs> in web 3, they can't alter the deal, right? That's it. Cuz once the code is deployed, that's what it that's what it's going to do in perpetuity, right? That has a downside as all technologies do. If you deploy your immutable code base and you have deployed it with a bug, that bug is also here to stay. So that is something that is a huge issue in Web3 and something that we are constantly working on solving and improving. And that's a big reason why I kind of changed my trajectory into this security, engineering and and research area. Because I said, hey, retail is never going to come here if we keep getting hacked for $200 million like every other week right? That's, that's just not, and it's also almost ridiculous for me to expect retail to come here knowing we have these issues. So I was basically kind of like, I was bitching for like a year, like, oh, like, or well, more than a year, probably two years. Like, oh, like, oh, why can't we just stay safe? And then instead of just bitching, I said, all right, screw that. I'm going to actually change directories because this is an issue that constantly comes up. And instead of bitching about it, I think I need to help fight. And that's why I'm here. Right, so that's why I, I changed trajectories, and yeah, that's that's a big issue right now, and we are working on it. All
0: right, um, I'll I'll ask a deliberately noob question for those who are kind of still learning uh, and getting their blockchain 101 um, info. Who should care about smart contract audit and smart contract security? Is it the companies? Is it the users? Is it just some regulator somewhere? Should I care about it? Should I not care about it?
1: Amazing question, and. This is something that there's actually been some more recent debates on because historically, audits were kind of seen as this marketing stamp. If you get an audit, if your protocol is audited, it's safe to use. That was the old narrative. And I think that needs to die because that is not what an audit is going to do. A smart contract audit is really, in my mind, between the auditor and the protocol. It's the protocol devs who want to make the code base safer, and it's the protocol devs that are going to get the most out of the audit, not necessarily the community. The client of the auditor is who? The client isn't the community. The client is the protocol itself, right? So to answer your question very directly, the answer is the audit is for the protocol. When a smart country audit, ha- and and if protocol devs care about their code base, which Most of them do and should, if they care about their code base in the long run, they will kind of relay a lot of that information to their communities. But the audit itself is to inform the protocol developers, the issues with their code, and especially the reason why I say that is oftentimes there is an issue in the code base of centrality. And this is something that comes up many, many times where there's some function. So, so, uh, smart contracts are immutable. They're decentralized. However, you can code into them centrality pieces if you want to, right? They default as decentralized, but you can code centralized pieces into them. And a lot of protocols do this for one one reason or another. And if a smart contract auditor finds a centralized piece in the code base, they will mark it on the audit. But what the protocol will do is they will go and say, cool, that is the intended function resolved. Like we don't get, we're not gonna, fi- excuse me, we're not gonna fix that. And this is especially why I say, audits are for the protocol, not for the community, because if the protocol says, okay, we're not going to fix that, that's a, that's, that's intended, then, then they're not going to fix it. Right. And it's going to show up on the audit report, you know, protocol acknowledged it and they don't really, you know, they don't care. That's intended functionality. So hopefully that answers your question. Um, I, I think, I, I think you asked two questions, but no, I, th- think I think I answered I think the, the question, who the audience is for. It's a pretty good
0: answer. So let's assume we have some future protocol founders listening to us. Maybe someone who is working on their project right now. Uh, what are some things that they should expect uh, from the audit? How should they approach it? Should they crowdsource it? Should they go to a company, post it on Reddit? Here's one ETH for audit. Um, what are some expectations? What's like one-on-one uh, protocol audit? For my for my uh, right, Uber so. on chain or something startup, <laughs> for my meme coin.
1: Absolutely. So so let me let, let me answer this a little bit differently um, because there's there's another narrative here. Mm-hmm. The other narrative: if you get an audit, you're done. You're good. So there's actually a lot of misinformation about what audits are and a lot of misconceptions. So um, you bring up a really good point. You're like, hey, like what's the audit journey here? Um, and an audit is not the only step. In what i call your security journey an audit an audit is just a single step in your security journey so an audit is not a guarantee your code is bug free so if you get an audit it's not like woohoo everything's secure it's just an additional step and i think that especially with private audits they should more be teaching the protocols how to stay more secure rather than just giving them an audit report and then sending them on their way teaching them how to be more secure showing the places in the code that are suspicious, um, even if there, there's no bugs found. But So to me, we really wanna be teaching uh, the security journey as opposed to a single audit. Now, what is, what, is a, what is the security journey? So step one, security actually needs to start from the architecture level. We have had audits where a protocol comes to us, a smart contract audits, and the protocol comes to us and they go, hey, make sure there's no bugs in here, give it back to us. And we have to say, uh, your entire architecture is, is a bug um and it sounds like weird but you need to have security in your mindset from day one because if you build your entire architecture in a way that doesn't isn't secure you have to you might have to start over right and that sucks so security actually starts from day one it starts from the instant that you are coding now let's say you kind of have this in mind you're coding with security mindset um then as a protocol you need to rigorously test your protocol and most really good auditors will teach you and will show you how to do a lot of this testing and a lot of this advanced work. Um, There's a lot of different tools out there you can do to do testing. Obviously, you want to do unit tests. There's uh, integration tests, uh, differential tests, fuzz tests, and variant tests. There's all these different types of tests that you can and should do. Uh, a lot of tools that you can use. Once you have your tests down, and especially your fuzz tests, we're finding that that's becoming more and more important. Then you want to move to using some, and this, this. These are tools are used in the audits as well. You want to use something called static analysis tools. These are tools like slither, um, that will kind of slither. Even like chat is a static analysis tool where it'll look through your code and see, ah, there might be an issue here. There might be an issue here. Uh, then you run something called, um, dynamic, uh, analysis tools. And they're a little bit, well, unit tests are technically dynamic analysis, but forget that, you can do these optional dynamic analysis tools like symbolic execution, formal verification. A lot of people don't do that step just because it's really difficult to get right. takes a lot of resources. And sometimes uh, the fuzz testing step will get everything done. But in any case, once you do all that, then you can say, okay, my code looks pretty good. I've done all these testing things. Code's done, I've tested it thoroughly. Now I want to go to a security professional to see what bugs there are in here and to see if I'm doing this right. Am I doing this right from a security perspective? So, a smart contract audit... really. Maybe to, yes, to, to, to ahead, ask sorry. a
0: really quick question, maybe to, just, to summarize quickly. So all everything you just said, you do as a project even before approaching uh, an audit firm or a professional.
1: In a perfect world, yes. However, a lot of devs aren't up to date with the most modern top-of-the-line security practices. And so even if you don't have all those steps, you definitely still should approach security professionals because they will teach you a lot of that stuff. So perfect world, yes. And then the security professionals will uh, basically run over it and make sure it's all good. But if not, still go to the auditors because then you can do something called like a code review. That's a service that we offer at Cypherin where we look over your code. We make sure you have some of these best practices and it's a lot cheaper than a full blown audit. Um, but yeah, so definitely still approach a security professional, even if you're a little unsure because that's what they're there for They're to help you be more secure. Good. Great question. Great question. All
0: right. uh, I think another small thing that uh, you mentioned just earlier, you said something like private audit, Raises a question. Are there other types of audits that people should be aware of? Or what is the difference between them?
1: Yes. Um, Let me me finish the security journey. Oh, yes, please. And then
0: then we can come back to it as well. Okay.
1: Perfect. So, yeah. So, they do security from day one. They do other testing. They use some tools. Even if they don't, they go to an auditor, smart contract auditor, to help them with that. Smart contract auditor goes to their code. And a smart contract audit can last anywhere between, like, a week and several months, depending on how big the code base is. But... Once an, uh, once this audit is done, they give the feedback to the protocol. Protocol will hopefully implement the feedback. And then in a perfect world, I think they go to either one more like audit firm or private auditor um, just to get a second opinion if you're still unsure. Because again, like it's not a guarantee your code's bug free, it's a security code review. And then finally, I really do think that the final step or at least somewhere in your security process should be a competitive audit and so this is this is the difference between a private audit and a competitive audit so a private audit is you approaching a firm or a solo auditor there's a lot of really fantastic solo auditors out there as well uh, you approaching a firm or a solo auditor saying hey can you go through my code can you give me all the security tips and tricks can you look for any bugs in here and then you can take it to a competitive audit which is a smart contract audit instead of being done by One group or one person, you basically take the code, you stick it out there, and you go, Hey, here's our code. You have three weeks to find as many bugs as possible. And so they are a time boxed, crowdsourced audit. And the people who find the most bugs and the highest bug, excuse me, and the highest vulnerabilities get paid the most. And that's how you can get the most coverage, in my opinion, right? So if you have three eyes looking at your code base versus a thousand eyes, you're going to highly just by a numbers game you're going to probably find more bugs with a thousand eyes now the difference between the two is that those thousand eyes might not necessarily understand the security methodologies that you should use and implement they might not be able to give you a rationale as to why they found that bug or how to restructure your architecture So this is where the private audits can really shine because they can do, they can find the majority of the bugs and then also comment on your code quality, bring you along the security journey, and even give you advice on, hey, here's what I think you should do next. I think you should do another private audit. I think you should do a competitive audit. I think we should do form of verification. They can give you a lot more fine tailored advice to your specific project. So that's more of the security journey there. And there's the thing that's tough is there's no silver bullet here. Everyone's security journey is a little bit different, but the important thing to to note, and I think this is the most important is all of this is for the protocol, right? This is not necessarily for the community. This is all for the protocol. This is something that there's been some debate on. Like I was saying recently, should there be a community audit done? Um, who would pay for that? Is that something that people would want? But that's kind of a a longer, different conversation. In any case, that's security journey. Did that make sense?
0: Uh, This is a great, great outline. I think one of the things that hopefully we learned today is that it's not just a one-time event, but it's a continuous process. Um, I think one of the questions that I also wanted to ask about something that a few things that we covered is uh, what are some other misconceptions or some things that you hate people get wrong all the time uh, so that we can like nail that point?
1: Good question. What are some other things that people get wrong all the time? I think I named most of them. Yeah, an audit is not a guarantee code is bug-free. Just because a protocol has an audit doesn't mean they're safe to use. I would say those are probably the two biggest ones. Okay, cool. An audit isn't a guarantee your code is bug-free. And just because a protocol has an audit does not mean they are safe to use.
0: Awesome. Uh, Yeah, okay. let's, Let's then move on to a bit more advanced and current topics. So the elephant in the room is that... You know, we have uh, so many hacks that happen right after several famous firms um, audit certain, you know, project. Uh, I think you wrote quite a few threads on that topic. Um, I think it's kind of like we touched this point already a little bit, but it's still kind of interesting. What are your thoughts? Like, why to all those skeptics out there, um, why why do you even still bother with an audit? Why pay the money? Um, should they just like you know a test and prod like Andre Cronia did back in twenty twenty Defi Summer? Uh, he did it well though. Right. Yes, <laughs> I don't think he got hacked that that often, uh, if ever. Uh, a memory maybe from two years ago is off, or three years ago.
1: Yeah. What, what are your thoughts? For from my memory, he definitely got in trouble a couple of times. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I I think this is a great question. So again, the security audit is for the protocol. At, themselves and if you look at and and this is where i think your question is even more important you're like hey man like why get an audit if you're saying it's not a guarantee your code is bug free well if we look at the top hacks in the space one of my favorite sites is sites is rect.news if you go through rect.news you will see i want to say 80 percent of those hacks are unaudited code So if you say, okay, well, what's the percentage of products that are hacked unaudited to audited? The vast majority of them come from unaudited code. And just, so getting an audit drastically reduces your chances of getting hacked. So it's not a guarantee your code is bug-free, but it drastically reduces the chance. it It drastically reduces the amount of bugs and the chances that your protocol will get hacked. And... Additionally, if you're a protocol and you're saying, hey, I want to have the best protocol ever, I want to have it the most secure, I want to have it. everyone use my thing and, and everyone be happy, you have to. Like, you have to have a third party, someone not on your team, go through your code and check and look for bugs and issues. You have to. There's, like, I, I'm i a smart contract and en- research engineer. Like, I look for bugs. Like, I know how to look for bugs. I can't audit my own code for shit it's very difficult for me to audit my own code, right? Because I have all these preconceived notions. I'm you know, i looking at it from one lens. It, it's, it's a must in this space. If you get an audit, your chance of hack plummets. And I wish I had the stats on me with what that plummeting is. And if you don't get an audit, your chance of getting a hack stays very high.
0: Awesome, okay. I think uh, hopefully this is good information for everyone who still thinks whether they should do it or not. Um, I think it's definitely a yes. Um, oh,
1: yes. wait, I'm so sorry. Yes. I, need to, I need to mention something. Oh, I'm so sorry, everybody. Nope. There's another step in the security journey. Wow, I'm an idiot. There's two more steps. All right, please. I'm sorry, real, real real quick, real quick. Wow, I can't believe I glossed over this. So again, once you get an audit and once you deploy, excuse me, yeah, once, once you deploy your code, your security journey isn't even done there. Haha, <laughs> there's more to it. Once you deploy your code, once your code is out there, you absolutely wanna have something called bug bounties. And Immunify is one of the biggest Web3 bug bounty platforms out there. Uh, Absolutely love working with them. The whole team is is phenomenal. What you can do is you say, hey, we've gone through this process, but if you find anything else, hit us up on this secure channel. Right. And if you find a bug, we'll pay you money. And usually bug bounties pay a lot more money because they've been through so many rigorous steps and the code is live. So there's even more danger there. So bug bounties are absolutely a crucial step to conti- like, continue this flywheel. Like I said, security is a process, so it's still just kind of keeping this journey going, right? So b- absolutely bug bounties. Now, the final other thing is something called responsible disclosures. What do you do if you find a bug and there is no bug bounty, right? If they have a bug bounty, you report it to the bug bounty platform. As, soon as the bug bounty platform has an agreement with the protocol, they'll take care of it. If you find a bug and there is no bug bounty platform, it's kind of a discussion right now as to what to do with it. There are a number of groups working on a solution. Like um, we saw a group called Jump Trading. They released this safe methodology protocol where basically you can hack, you can white hack, white hack, hack a protocol, dump the money into this kind of safe and let the protocol recover the funds. Um, I think that there isn't a great consensus around exactly what to do yet. It's something being worked on. But as a rule of thumb, the first thing you want to do is you want to reach out to the protocol. And first off, make sure you're actually reaching out to the protocol, explain the issue that you're finding, make sure you're explaining this issue on a secure channel, and work with them to resolve it. If they don't respond to you, this is where it gets really gray and really weird. And we can go down that path maybe another day.
0: Awesome. Well, you answered all the questions that I was about to ask. <laughs> Perfect. Especially especially about what happens when when someone discovers a bug and there is no bug bounty for it and team doesn't want to even do anything about it. I think it's... Uh, I've seen so many threads where people yeah. blaming each other and... Um,
1: it's... It, I, I, to me, that's an, an incredibly interesting question because we've seen every which way be approached. We've seen uh, white hat hacks say, screw it, I'm going to hack it myself. And they hack it. Sometimes those hacks go poorly and they... They mess up the exploit and then somebody else sees the transactions and then they hack it. So that's like a danger that you have to keep in mind if you say, oh, screw it. I'm just going to wait hack it. Um, we've seen protocols just continue to get, we, excuse me. We've seen devs just continue to ping the protocol for months going unresponded. And then eventually the protocol goes, oh my God, wait, that is a bug. We've seen protocols go screw it, disclose it. I don't care. Somebody put out the disclosure and the protocol still doesn't fix it. And then somebody else reads the disclosure and then goes and hacks it. So we've seen that approach from every single angle with mixed results.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let's uh, move I- into how does one actually become a smart contract auditor? We're we gonna discuss that in ge- like. Let's start with maybe with the, with the basics. Um, do you even need to know how to program? I think it's an obvious one. <laughs> but uh, let's answer that question. You first. know, <laughs>
1: question <first. laughs> you, you know what the, the answer is actually not what you'd expect. The answer is kind of, maybe. I have worked with some of the best smart contract auditors in this space, like objectively, right? Some of the best competitive auditors, some of the best auditors in the space. Some of them are pretty weak programmers. Some of them are not that good at engineering, which is, which is crazy, which is shocking. But what they can do really well is they can read code really well and they can read business intention really well. Surprisingly, surprisingly enough, 80% of bugs are what's called machine unauditable, meaning uh, a a tool wouldn't have been able to find them. And these machine unauditable issues are generally an issue in business logic or business implementation. So let's say you have a staking contract um, where somebody should be able to stake some money and withdraw it whenever they want, and they messed up the way you can withdraw, right? Or they, they messed up some business functionality. So, these business functionality issues are not necessarily like code issues, right? It's not like, oh, they didn't understand that the Solidity Function Selector is wrong here and the bytes have to be in this order, blah, 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 whatever. It's like, oh, you you can't withdraw here or, oh, this math is wrong, right? So if you can understand math, if you can understand business logic, that's actually almost more important than being able to code really, really well. Obviously, being able to code really, really well is very, very helpful. <laughs> and you'll find that... Uh, a lot of the a lot of the best so the, a lot of the best smart contract auditors can't code very well, but a lot of them are also wizards. A lot of them know every single inch of coding and, and how to do it. So you, you get that mix. But yeah, so being able to read code is, is, I would argue, is more important, especially if you're relying on manual review for your code. And I would say the best way to get really good at becoming a smart contract auditor is number one, even though I just said you don't need to, you it's way, way more helpful if you do know how to code. So number one, learn how to code, take a course. And then number two, audit a lot. It's just like any other skill. The more time behind the wheel you spend, the more time you spend auditing, the better you'll get. And after every single audit, be sure to reflect and say, okay, well, why did I not find these bugs? Why did I not find you know, these especially if you're doing a competitive audit or if you're auditing a code base that already has an audit done, maybe don't look at the audit. You do the audit yourself and then go, oh, okay, well, why did they find these bugs that I didn't find you just audit a lot and keep up to date with security best practices. And that's kind of the, even though I'm talking a lot, that's the short story on how to become an auditor in the space.
0: What are some places to go and find, you know, projects to practice on, right? Majority of projects by the time they hit. Publicity, they're already audited, they're already perfect. You know, there is zero chance of finding a bug, right? Like, and I think a lot of a big part of learning is like actually succeeding at finding some issue and then it gives you a bit more more energy, right? But if you're already working on some like audited contract, you're not going to... I mean, it's a very low chance that you will find some issues there, right? So you're going to be a little bit demotivated. What are some like places where where one can practice?
1: Well, I mean, maybe... Maybe, uh, it's still good to practice auditing some of these big groups because we see all the time, you know, uh, Tinchot, uh, is somebody very well respected in the security space. Somebody I work with, uh, quite often we had, a, we made a YouTube video about a month ago of him, like showing his process. He was like basically auditing ENS for fun. And he found a hundred thousand dollar, um, payout vulnerability. So they paid him a hundred thousand dollars for a bug. He disclosed and he was just auditing it for fun. Right. Um, So it still is good to audit these protocols that have tons of audits because bugs still exist, right? Um, But yeah, I hear what you're saying. It can be demotivating. Um, So I would say a couple things. So number one, be sure to follow me on Twitter because I have some very interesting stuff coming out in the future. And I know I've been teasing that for a little bit. Um, Please bear with me. I'm... Working as fast as I can. <laughs> um, but yeah, be sure to follow me on Twitter. Uh, I got some really cool stuff coming out. Um, there's some fantastic spots where you can try out your your skills and actually find bugs. Damn Vulnerable DeFi, uh, one, a tool made by Tincho is actually exactly what you just said. It's a playground to uh, find bugs. The Ethernaut is another fantastic one where you can find bugs live. Um,
0: is Reddit still a thing? And is Reddit
1: still a thing? What's is
0: Reddit still a thing? I remember back in the day, 2017, uh,
1: like, 18, people
0: like audit my, you know, audit my gift repo on, on, on Reddit. I'll give you like 0, 5, 0. 0.5 ETH. Um, is that still a place? Is that still happening? Have you seen any like subreddits where people try to do audits?
1: I, I don't know about that. Uh, maybe. But but a, uh, I think a better place after you do kind of ETH or not, damn vulnerable DeFi, then these competitive audits are a perfect place for you to go check out. Like Sherlock, CodeFarina um, the saloon, these all are competitive audit platforms where they go, here's a lump of code. You have three weeks to audit it. And I think that those time boxes are really good setting deadlines for yourself, because the thing is you could always spend more time on a code base. You could always look for more bugs. So it is really good. It is really important to have a deadline and say, okay, after this date, I'm done. I'm not looking at this code anymore.
0: Hmm. Are there any courses specifically for smart contract auditing? I know you have a lot of uh, Solidity courses, specific smart arg- contract auditing.
1: Uh, I'm working on some. Um, I guess, not again, not so hidden alpha. But there's the Securium is one that's out there. It's, it's kind of a more high-level uh, explainer of what to do with auditing. There's Johnny... Um, What's his handle? I, don't, I can't think of his Twitter. But Johnny, uh, he's on Twitter. I can't think of his handle. He's got a smart contract auditing firm. Or excuse me, smart contract auditing course. He's working with a lot of really, really uh, amazing auditors like Trust and Peshaw and and all these uh, all these really strong auditors. He's got a good course out there. Um, I'm sure there are more, but those are the, the first two that come to my mind.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the one of the popular questions or most often questions that I personally get uh, while running Crypto Jobs list. Are there internship opportunities? Are there like entry level jobs? And I get this question across every spectrum, every category of jobs, but uh, you know, I think uh, a regular person would expect like, okay, security, it needs to be like, you know, a surgeon level, you know, mission critical, uh, no place for internships. Um, Is that true? Is that false? What's your take?
1: Well, here's the beauty of security in Web3. Pretty much everything is permissionless and open source. If you want to participate in one of these competitions, in my mind that's almost better than an internship because you'll build some reputation for yourself and you'll learn along the way. Uh, that, and like you can go do bug bounties. you can go read code bases. like to me like the in a weird way, the web is your internship. Um, but if that sounds patronizing, um, <laughs> then there are actual kind of more traditional internships out there. Like, I know Trillibits has a fantastic internship program. Um, I'm sure other other tier one audit firms have internship programs. But I think if you're like, really, if you're like, oh, like, I really just, I want to I wanna try my hand at auditing and smart contract security. Then I would really just say, hey, like, go out there and try some of these competitive audits. Try some of these bug bounty platforms. I mean, if you go on Immunify, you'll see there's protocols that are offering a million dollars if you find a bug, right? So, go like, huge, huge payouts there if you find a bug. And there's also uh, platforms that are offering much less, right? And the platforms that are offering much less, maybe fewer eyes look at them. So maybe that's your opportunity to jump in and find something. So to answer your question, to summarize, the web is your internship. There's plenty of platforms for you to try it out. However, yes, there are actual internships out there as well. They're just kind of hard to get into.
0: Awesome. So let's let's, let's assume someone's already a little bit experienced. They're a little bit confident. They found a few live... Uh, you know, life, uh, bugs reported them and they considering what to do next. Maybe they want to make their full career, right? Do they go solo and do all this, uh, bug bounties? Do they, um, assemble a team? Do they join a team? Do they join your company? Perhaps are you hiring? Maybe, uh, so, uh, w- w- what's your take? What are the pros and cons? Should they, should they be your competitor or maybe not? <laughs> uh, or should they join it? Yeah. What's yeah. your take?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, good question. So, there are so many protocols in this space where um, my company will never be able to get to all of them. We'll never be able to get to all of them. So, if you're thinking of getting in the space and being a competitor of mine, yes, please, thank you. Yes, do that. Uh, why? Which which sounds bizarre, and I know it sounds bizarre, but why? Because because again, what's what's our goal? I said at the beginning of this call, our goal is to enable Web three developers at scale, right? And to do that, we need more security professionals. We need more people in this space thinking about, hey, how do we keep Web3 secure? Because here's the stats, my friend. You ready for these stats? These Let's stats go. are going to blow your mind. Let's you ready go. for yeah. this? Let's go. What, is the, what is the total value locked in DeFi? Do you know the number right now? Do you know the number it's offhand? Like
0: over uh, 5, 10 billion, more than that, 50 billion. I'm probably off by a yeah. lot. It,
1: yeah. No, no, you're good. It's 50, it's 50 billion. Last time I checked, 50 billion. Last year, 2022... Guess how much money was hacked from DeFi? Guess how much money was stolen from DeFi? Guess.
0: I should have prepared better for this interview. <laughs> let's say a billion. Let's, <laughs> let's say a billion. Let's say a billion.
1: Very close. Hey, look, really close. That was a that was a shot in the dark. That was really close. It was it's 3 billion. Okay. Let's do some math. 3 billion over 50 billion. What percentage is that? Shit, wait. Math. Uh, <laughs> That's 6%. Let's pull up the calculator. 6%. So, 6% of all DeFi value was hacked or stolen last year. 6%. If you go to a bank in Web 2 and you say, hey, I'd like to put my money in this bank, and the bank goes to you and goes, yes, but I need to inform you, there's a 6% chance next year all your money will be gone. Will you put your money in that bank?
0: Unlikely. No,
1: absolutely not. <laughs> Unlikely. <laughs> so, uh, so we have the better technology in Web 3. We have the better technology... But these hacks are making it so that it's a worse offering, right? We're saying, oh, the banks are bad because the banks are going to lose their money, although they're they're kind of not doing super hot right now themselves. Um, But we're like, come to Web3, where 6% of our DeFi banks are blowing up, right? So to answer your question, we need to drop that 6% down to a number that's at least lower than whatever Web2's hack rate is or whatever Web2's money printer makes the banks explode or, or whatever that is, uh, we, 6% is way too high. So I know this is a very roundabout way of answering a question, but yes, there's many different ways to start being a Web3 auditor. So number one, you can just be a solo auditor. Now, I must say that's definitely a hard route to do because only the top 10% solo auditors are realistically going to make money, right? If I'm a protocol and I want an audit, um, I don't want an audit from somebody who started last week. I probably don't want an audit from somebody who started last month. I probably don't even want an audit from start, somebody who started six months ago. So really, it's it's definitely a grind to get to a point as a solo auditor where you're making money, enough money to live on. Um, so that is definitely a route you can do though. Uh, and you can do bug bounties and you can do competitive audits as well. But again... Competitive audits are exactly that competitive. The payouts are to the top performers. So that is a route you can definitely take. However, two heads are better than one. So teams often perform better on average because two heads are better than one. Right. And so that's where joining a company actually becomes much more attractive because a company hypothetically can be better performers simply because they have more heads. They have more people look at the code and they're doing teamwork stuff. They're building each other up, blah, 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 blah. So if you want to get a job, yes, you can do the solo audit thing. Yes, you can do solo competitive audits. Yes, you can do bug bounties. There's all these reasons, all these places to do. And you can even do it part-time, right? Maybe you just do it on the side, win a $1,000 here, win $500 there. That's cool. You can do that. Um, but yes, then the next step would be to start applying to companies. Cypherin, we are not hiring research uh, security engineers at the moment. Uh, we might in the future. So definitely be sure to take a look at our careers page. But most groups are constantly hiring because, like I just said, there's so many protocols getting hacked. 6% of DeFi was hacked. So we need more security people in this space. Absolutely.
0: Um, Slight off topic. Are there any other roles that are currently hiring for that you'd like to mention? Maybe there are the right people in the Twitter space right now.
1: Yeah, good call. Everyone in the Twitter space. So we are actively hiring for developer marketing. Actually, that is probably the the number one thing we're hiring for right now. Somebody who can help us. uh, So as a lot of you know, I make a lot of content. Um, Right now, I'm kind of doing all the marketing and production. And every second that I'm doing that, I'm not coding. And I would love to code more so I can teach you all how to code better. So if you guys know somebody, if you all know a developer marketer, send them to us. Because that way, I can go back to teaching you how to do code. Matter, Instead of marketing myself.
0: matter of fact, Patrick is not coding right now, which is awful. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking to us here. So we are committing a little bit of a crime, so everyone should feel like they're obliged to refer their friends to Patrick and apply for marketing uh, so that he can get back to the actual valuable, you know, the, the meat of the matter.
1: Actually, I... I- Actually, I have a confession. I've been coding this entire call.
0: Uh, I, you, you're so good. You, you, I cannot even hear your keyboard. You know? I, <laughs> can't even, I mean, that's usually the problem. Like, I'm getting DMs like, oh, Roman, I can hear your keyboard. Uh, <laughs> anyway, okay, so uh, really quick. We have, uh, I think, uh, 15 minutes left. In these 15 minutes, I'll plan to pack a lot. Uh, really quick, how do people apply? I know you have some GitHub. Is this the best way? Do people DM you? Do people email you? What's the best way?
1: Yes, Yep, yeah, we have all, uh, if you go to the github.com slash chainexcel.org, uh, so the Cypher team is actually the, the org on GitHub, uh, we have a repo called open positions, all the information that you need on how to apply to those open positions uh, is on there.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, okay, so now I think we can move into quick q and uh, I think I'll start with the questions that uh, people already mentioned in um, in replies on Twitter, and then I'll, uh, I'll try more like asking People real time Actually, on a
1: space. Roman, yes, Ramon, can I can I do can I do one more one more? Let's go. So so I, I want to. Everyone here who's lo- looking to be a security engineer, I need to I need to absolutely give you two pieces of massive advice here. Two pieces of mess, or even just smart contract engineering, right? Because we also need desperately need more smart contract engineers. So two pieces of advice here. Number one, if it's hard for you, it's hard for everybody else. And that's okay, especially when you first get started smart contract auditing, it is not going to be easy. It is going to be hard. You are going to sit and be looking at code and you're gonna go, what the fuck does this function do? And you're gonna say that a lot. And that is okay. Even now, having done this for a while, I come to, I've, seen, I've seen thousands of smart contract code bases, thousands of them, right? I was a Chainlink hackathon judge for, for years, right? And I literally had to go through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of code bases every single hackathon, right? So I've seen thousands of these. And even when I come to a giant code base, even I get overwhelmed, even I get a little overwhelmed. And I go, oh my God, there's so much code. And that is okay. The more you do it, the more confident you will get. Now I know if I come to a giant code base, I know within two, three weeks, I'm gonna come out the other side. I'm gonna go, I know every single piece of this code base. I know how everything works because you sit there and you spend the time and you go through it and you constantly ask questions. So know it's hard, know it can be overwhelming and that's okay. Just keep trying, keep pushing through and you'll get there. Remember to take breaks, but understand that it is hard and that is okay. Which leads me, To number two, repetition is the mother of skill. The more you do something, the better at it you'll get. You 100% can get there, but it takes time. So don't rush it. Enjoy the process. Find ways to celebrate the little wins because having fun, as corny as it sounds, having fun is a superpower. And if you find a way to have fun with your learning journey, you will rock it. So have fun, understand it's going to be hard, going to be hard and that that is OK. Ask a lot of questions. Stay curious. I know I gave like four more pieces of advice there, but yes, we're, we're listening. That, that's, we're listening. Really that's, my, that's my advice.
0: <laughs> Tell us everything. Um, right, cool. Shall I, shall I proceed to questions or do you have a more, uh, you know, yeah. sparks of genius? <laughs> no, nope. I'm sure. I'm sure <laughs> no. You do. Don't lie let's let's do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's do que- it. Questions, right. questions, uh, really questions, questions, questions. Uh, yeah. I mean
0: uh, I'll start with those that been people actually responded. So, you know, to respect those who've been uh, good followers of us on Twitter. Uh can AutoGPT assist in auditing smart contracts uh learning how to audit uh contracts uh, by at ETH Latinverse?
1: Great question. At ETH Latinverse. The answer to that is unequivocally yes. So ChatGPT is phenomenal at really high level understandings of code bases and is phenomenal for being what I call like a peer programmer. So sometimes if if there's some math that I'm like, what the heck does this math do? I will dump it into ChatGPT and be like, what does this math do? Um, AI is going to revolutionize the audit game. We are not sure how yet. If you try to dump a code base into ChatGPT and say audit this contract, it's going to suck. Uh, I've tried it many times. It kind of still sucks, but it can give auditors hints. So I think for the next couple of years, we're definitely gonna see, excuse me, we're definitely gonna see a rise in AI assisted auditing where you're gonna basically do your audit with uh, an AI helping you out. AI by itself will do a terrible job auditing, but great job at helping you understand. So the answer to your question is absolutely, and there's a ton of ways to prompt it. I'm working on putting together a list of prompts for, for people to use. Mm-hmm.
0: Another one, uh, your four step plan to get into Web three has uh, build and apply on repeat, um, until you grow in um, What kind of things Do you suggest building By At It's oh. Adil C It's, uh, it's your brother oh. I mean, no, Amazing Adil C okay, sorry. Wait what No no no, no. The, the, the guy's handle Ends with C So I'm sure he's inspired By your handle So
1: uh, Maybe it's your relative Love it okay. Love it Amazing <laughs> Amazing question So um, Whatever you want And that sounds like a terrible advice, but it really is what excites you, what interests you, because you're going to do phenomenally better on something that interests you. If you're having analysis paralysis, just pick something. It doesn't matter. Pick something. You will learn what you like by coding more. And that sounds bizarre to hear it out loud, but you are not going to know what you want to do or what you like to do until you do it. So just keep doing different stuff. And the more you do different stuff, the better you'll figure out what you like to do. So just build whatever. If you like DeFi, build something in DeFi. If you're curious about DeFi and you don't understand DeFi, maybe build something about DeFi. If you like NFTs, build something about NFTs. If you're curious about NFTs and you've never done anything with NFTs, do something with NFTs. Whatever you want to do.
0: Right. I, I usually uh give advice to people like solve your own problem. Uh you know, write write a multisig, write a streaming function. If you like NFTs inside NFTs, make a NFT aggregator copy a DEX, uh, solve your own problem that you're curious about. You do not like usability, fix usability, at least for yourself. So <laughs> at least that's the-
1: uh, Listen to <laughs> Roman, listen to Roman. <laughs> whatever to whatever he tells you to build. <laughs> All
0: right. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> have exactly,
0: uh, seven minutes and 50 seconds. So we're gonna give a floor to people. So you guys uh, wanna raise a hand uh, on, on Twitter and really quickly introduce yourself and ask a question. So, and you guys have probably only seven, seven minutes. Is that so? Or do you still have like, uh, you know, a little bit Flexibility, or is it like super strict?
1: If we go, if we go one minute over, that's cool. So uh, right. yeah, let's let's do some hand raises. We need to
0: get Patrick back to to coding. Um, every every second is a lot of, every second is <laughs> one ETH uh, we're spending on this. <laughs> All right, B Albina, host of podcast. Okay, here we go. Quick question, please introduce yourself and a quick question.
1: Hi, I'm bi I have a history, mostly working in media, working tech now, but I'm a huge fan of anything blockchain. Amazing uh, conversation, Patrick. Thank you so much. The biggest question I had is, I know that you approached some of the um, faults with small sm- smart contracts, excuse me. But could you talk about some of the aspects where we've had in the past, where they kind of people have used smart contracts to essentially um, work it towards them rather than kind of having this collective idea? Thank you. Amazing question. Yeah, this is actually something we were talking a little bit about earlier about how smart contract audits are for the protocol. And if a protocol says, well, we added this centrality piece in here for us. So it's not a bug. It's a, it's a feature. um, It's something that is really unfortunate. Uh, And it's something that we're constantly trying to think about. How do we, how do we work this out? Right. Because if a code base is insecure, if a code base has a function that is like basically can rug protocol, right? If there's a function that says like rug now, a lot of security researchers can find that no problem. And the question then becomes is, okay, is the community going to listen to this researcher who says, Hey, this code base is terrible. They're going to rug us. Or are they going to listen to the protocol that says, Hey, stick your money in here and we'll give you 20% returns. It's difficult for some people. Right, It's difficult to listen to reason when there's money saying, hey, come grab me when that's really a trap. And it's really, really upsetting and really frustrating. And last year as a community, we felt this. We felt the heat. We saw a lot of this. FTX, Celsius, Luna, these were all protocol. Well, they weren't even protocols. They're Web2 companies that said, hey, put your money here and we'll make you wealthy beyond your wildest imaginations. And really, they were just traps. All right. And they weren't even protocols. So it's really frustrating. And it's something that we need to work on. Um, I think this is where at least better education about what Web3 is and how Web3 works will go a long, long way. Um, And listening to a lot of these security researchers and the reputable ones is gonna go a long way. And I think we're getting more mature as as an industry moving in that direction. Unfortunately, there's still going to be trials and tribulations that we're going to run through in the coming years. But I think, yeah, more education about what is good code, what is a best practice and what is not is going to really, really help. So like, for example, I've seen way too many rugs in my time here in web three, way too many rugs, and a lot of them are obvious rugs. Unfortunately, a lot of them are obvious rugs and a community just gets crazy hype and they see money and they go after it and we need to police that better we need to self-police a lot better um and say that's not okay it's not okay to have a function that says owners can withdraw all the money
2: hey guys so uh, i'm a security auditor i used to work with trail Bits. um so one thing i realized was uh the tooling is kind of very weak um so i developed a uh, the development framework, um, and I think also the best property-based fuzzer in Python. And one thing I'm kind of struggling with is the ecosystem is so focused on JavaScript um, to you know, uh, have them like, give a chance to sort of doing uh, you know, models in Python for the fuzzing. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you see that changing maybe in the future? And uh, do you think that people have some flexibility in um, trying out this language?
1: Dom, my guy man after on my own heart man oh my goodness you just said all the words in all the order i 100% agree there's a very large javascript focus and i think it comes from the javascript everywhere mentality of web typescript typescript what's the <laughs> what was that
0: typescript <laughs> so, sorry for shouting <laughs> sorry i'm in i'm in a camp of typescript people you're good, so. you're
1: good. <laughs> yeah yeah i yeah, know you're good um what what's the what's the tool that you made the so I know there's um I know Brownie has used hypothesis sorry I'm gonna get nerdy for a real quick second Dom what's the name of the tool that you have the tool that you have uh so it's called Woke um we use oh, Brownie oh. Really, oh yeah 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 I've I've seen Woke yeah, yeah sorry yes, go sorry, ahead oh nice
2: uh yeah so we use Brownie um at like uh, the the new auditing I company that I worked with for the last two years and it was kind of like a kind of a pain so yeah we developed our own fuzzer and. Uh, we we just find that like building these models in Python is so much better than building them in Solidity, as you have to do sort of in Echidna, right? And then Foundry sort of decided to uh, to also sort of use Solidity for testing. And I really feel like that's not the the step in the right this uh, in the right direction, because you really want to you know to to make economic like uh, yeah. complex economic models, you want to be using the the right tool for the
1: job, the right language. Definitely. And then what's the uh, language? Definitely. And then what's the um, uh, what's the what am I trying to think? What, what's the question? What was the exact question you had? I guess the question is like maybe you know, the eco start with JavaScript and do you see any
2: uptake? Got it. Um, you yeah. know, considering Python. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I got it. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, I got it, okay. So fuzzing I think is crazy interesting because we're, we're kind of seeing a fuzz war come about, right? Consensus Diligence just released a fuzzing tool. It's like a cloud fuzzing tool. I know the founder team is hard at work in improving their fuzzer because there's a lot of use cases where the fuzzer doesn't actually find the output. And for people here who don't know what fuzzing is or invariant tests are, I've got a video on my YouTube channel. I'm gonna shill my, my own channel again um, uh, that explains fuzzing. It's crazy important, crazy, crazy important tool. Um, but Dom, to answer your question, I think yes. I think absolutely. I I agree with you. I don't think JavaScript is the right tool for every scenario. Um, I've been pretty vocal. Yeah, sorry, I've been pretty vocal about how I think uh, I I don't think JavaScript is is the the end all be all. But um, I I do see us working with more technologies. I mean, Solidity itself. Um, like I, the more that I look at Viper, the more I'm like, wow, Viper has a lot of amazing things to offer like why are we not coding more stuff in viper too i mean i love solidity but uh long story short dom i I think the answer is yes i think we just need to get there i think the ecosystem is going to get more mature and we're going to use better tooling we're going to use more tooling python is interesting as a fuzzer because i actually um i love coding in python i love coding a lot of stuff in python i feel like Python's kind of slow for a fuzzer though, no? Like I, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't a Rust implementation be better? What are your thoughts there?
2: Yeah, great question. So uh, one thing we found with fuzzing so far is that it's kind of the reverse of a lot of other uh, software developments. So like when you're developing an operating system, you know, it takes you like a year to develop it, but then it's gonna run for like millions of uh, like man years. Right? Whereas with like fuzzing models, it takes a few weeks to develop, but then you usually run it for, uh, you know, in a few hours you can get millions and millions of scenarios. So really, when I think about speed in terms of uh, in terms of fuzzing, I really think about the speed it takes to write it, uh, because since you're going to be spending most of your time reading it versus uh, versus running it, then any sort of uh, yeah, speed gains on writing is going to be much more pronounced.
1: Interesting interesting yeah per- perhaps and, and that's actually usually my biggest proponent of python is that you can write it so so fast um i, I do want to uh, just give one quick shout out so there's a uh, there's a woman Paulina Tomak. she recently put a out a um a paper on comparing different formal verification symbolic execution tools some in rust some in python some in other languages that was really interesting to read. Um, I'd recommend you, you take a read at that because the performance gains and differences can be big. I hear what you're saying. Okay. You're just going to let it run for forever. So like who, who cares? Um, but it is interesting. I would recommend checking that out, uh, in any case, but, um, yeah, great question. Um, and, uh, thanks for building. Woke. Well. I've been meaning to try it out. I, I just haven't, I just haven't found time yet, but, uh, That's badass. Great question. Thanks for asking.
0: Paulina is a Singapore based, by the way. Maybe we'll interview her one day.
1: (laughs) Hey, there you go. I didn't expect to hear
0: her name from you, but, uh, uh, she I think it's an <laughs> a star Singapore research facility anyway uh Patrick be honest uh, do we have more time for more questions or shall we start wrapping up
1: yeah I gotta jump off All right so time to wrap up okay here. cool uh
0: thanks everyone for um you know joining us on the Twitter space is gonna be available as a podcast and as a video as well at least maybe we'll like slide some video clips out of this as well please follow Patrick uh, follow us as well for for jobs in the industry we'll try to do these uh, spaces more often with different people like, again in Technical roles as well as non-technical roles. So please, please, please uh, come and follow us. Uh, ask your questions. Questions are, you know, the key to to moving this industry forward, uh, to learning more, to understanding better. Uh, final thoughts, Patrick?
1: Kind of what I was saying before. Don't be afraid to get in this space, everybody. It can be difficult if you want to become a smart country auditor. There's definitely a bar that you want to hit, but you will get there. Keep spending time. Ask a lot of questions. Don't be afraid don't be afraid. You're going to run into people who say, oh, you got to be a wizard to do that. You just have to spend the time. That's it. You just have to spend enough time. So good luck, everybody, on your journeys. Be sure to keep learning, keep growing, and hopefully we'll see you in the future. All right.
0: Thanks so much, Patrick. Wow. Thank you for watching all the way till the end. I hope that you found this conversation with Patrick very useful. And please, 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 if something was unclear or you have some questions about learning Web3, about learning Solidity, about smart contract audits, ask these questions below. This is the best way to learn to get these questions answered. Also, watch other videos that we published as well as blog posts and Twitter. threads that we publish. We share a lot of information about both technical and non-technical topics in crypto and web3. Until the next time, I'll follow, of course.